0: My name is Siobhan Breyer. In 2015, I was studying abroad in Seville, Spain when a young woman in my program passed away. Um, A lot of people in our program believed that her death was not an accident or that there was some form of foul play involved. Um, I knew the man who she was with the night she died. Um, So I'll be talking about my experience with him and what I've learned about him since her death, because it turned out to just be an entire can of worms. Um, and for the people who are listening, you can kind of come to your own conclusions about who he is and what his character is and how he could have been involved in, um, this young woman's passing, um, and all of the other things that I'm going to be mentioning. So, um, I do wanna clarify before I start that talking about this story, because it's such a heavy topic, it really wasn't a decision that I took lightly. It wasn't a story that was like easy to compile. Um, I ultimately decided to share it because I spoke with, only really after long conversations with my family, with my friends, um, notably with Gabriel Vega, who I'll be mentioning later in the story. Um, I decided to share it because I think that it serves as a very useful kind of warning tale for young women, especially young women who travel. So um, on the surface, this is a story about Lauren, who's the young woman who passed. But really more generally, it's a story about dangerous people and how they get close to us and how they often get away with it.
1: An awareness of like, you're, no one's safe, I feel. Like, like it's mm-hmm. it's sad to say, but I feel like in this day and age, it's like you constantly have to be aware of your surroundings, and especially when you're traveling. It's, like I mean, they always say, like, travel in groups, but even then sometimes it's like you don't know who you're talking to, and it's like, yeah. f- I feel like if you're a genuinely, like, a nice person, you give trust, and you're just like, oh, they're nice to me, like, they n-, you know what I mean? And you don't think twice, so.
0: Yeah, um, and I think that it definitely speaks to, like, the importance of kind of looking out for each other too. Yeah. Um because we're more aware of it because these are people who usually take the time to gain your trust. Mhm. Um and that was kind of the one of the things that I was blindsided by when I went through this was that it what came from somebody who I just trusted like I and I had been given no reason to not trust him. Right. So in the summer of 2015, I studied abroad in Seville, Spain. Um it's a city in the south of Spain in Andalusia. And how old were you? I was 20. Okay. Um, On the first day, they told us I was with a program called CIEE. On the first day, they told us that we were going to have a culture guide. So the culture guide is someone who is your age. Um, They're from Spain. The idea is that they can kind of introduce you to the culture, um, help you integrate, meet other people who are your age, you know, who you can hang out with, maybe even become friends with. So our culture guide was a young man named Ignacio. Um, He was... I think probably in his early 20s, um, had kind of like combed, dirty blonde hair. Um, He was really like clean cut, like he um, was always wearing a collared shirt. He was studying to become a lawyer and he was not great at his job. Like we were asking him a million questions about Seville and he was really disinterested. Like he didn't even really seem like he wanted to be there. I remember that I had a friend who was in a different group who was a... um, Her culture guide was this young woman who seemed really like charismatic and excited to talk about um, Seville. And I was so jealous because I wished that I had somebody who um, could answer my questions as well. And so we went out on this first day. Ignacio tells us he's going to take us on a tour. And I'll tell you a little bit about Seville, kind of like the backdrop of of where all this happened. So um, it's a really unique place. It used to be the capital of a Muslim empire that came up from northern Africa. So there are these ancient mosques. And then at the same time, it was then it was replaced by these enormous, like elaborate Catholic cathedrals Um, and there are uh, orange trees in the streets and like peacocks and these palaces. It was a really almost like surreal, beautiful place, really hot and dry in the summer that we were there. Um, And the whole time that we're looking at all of these landmarks with these incredible histories, um, Ignacio is like rushing us past. So he's we would try to get a picture and he would just be on his phone or he would be like trying to get us to go. And the whole reason was that he didn't take us there to give us the tour. The whole purpose of him giving us the tour was to take us to a tour uh, travel agency called Discover Excursions. So he brought us to Discover Excursions. It was a small travel agency, had really like prime real estate. Um, And we went in and it had uh, I was studying at Penn State at the time. He had a big Penn State flag. All of our university flags were up behind um, his desk. And so the flags, plus the fact that Ignacio brought us there, led me to conclude that uh, he was associated with CIE. Like, this was part of the program. Um, So we went in, there was a man behind the desk. He was, I learned later that he was 35. I thought he was in his 40s. Um, He had really kind of like greased hair Um, He had like a little bit of a beer belly, a super, super white smile. And he stood up and he introduced himself as Manuel White. I later learned that that was a fake name. Um, But at the time I knew him as Manuel or Manu. So he shook my hand. He He said, he asked me how old I was. He asked me where I was studying. I said that I went to Penn State. And he said, he kind of like glanced over at Ignacio and he got this big smile and he said, oh, Penn State girls, I love Penn State girls. You girls really know how to party. And I was like, that's a weird thing for like a program director to be saying. So I immediately kind of was like, okay, he's a creep. Um, But then later that night, I can't remember if it was that night or that weekend, Ignacio told us that he was gonna take us out to a bar. Um, So we went to a bar and it was like a public bar, but it was really when we got there, the people who were in charge of the trip, so it was all the culture guides and Manuel, And then maybe like 40 of the students who are studying there at the time, uh, there were so many of us, like we kind of just took over the space. So there was
1: like a good amount of you guys that were on this trip. And then were you guys always in a group together or did you you stay in the same place? Or how did that work?
0: It was a huge program. Um, We studied in one building predominantly. There were, uh, but then there were also kind of like subgroups. So I think there might have been between 100 and 200 maybe even more students. Okay. So we didn't know everyone on the program, but we would know people for they offered a bunch of different classes. Got so it. you would know people who are maybe like taking a class with you or you would know people who um were with you um like in your little like culture group, something like that.
1: And then were you staying with like families there or were you yeah. Okay. I had a host mom. Okay, and how many of how many students were with that host mom? Like was it just you or was it Just there- me. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they really split you guys all up as far as like where you were staying and sleeping.
0: Yeah. I think the purpose was kind of, I think that there maybe there were people who are staying together, but I think they really wanted us to not spend the whole time with Americans, Got like it. also get to know people from Spain and okay. kind of feel like we were part of the community. Um, so there were a lot of options. Like we, I, I stayed with a host mom. I had a really lovely host mom. Um, but then later in the story, you'll see like that did kind of lead to like feelings of isolation when like things started to go south. Okay. Um, so we were at this bar and, um, my friend snapchatted me and she was like, why weren't we invited? I thought that it was part of the program and I looked up and it was actually my friend who had that culture guide that I mentioned who knew a lot about Spain and was talking a lot about it. And I looked up and I noticed that she wasn't there. And I, so I thought, oh, that's strange. I thought this was part of the program, but it's weird that my friend wasn't invited. And then she was, uh, snapchatting me complaining, like. I wish that I got like a cool culture guide would take us to bars. Um, And I remember that at one point I went to, uh, I went to the bathroom and I came back and my friend was standing there like holding my drink. And he was like, you left your drink unattended. And I was like, oh, it's fine. Like we know everyone here, don't worry so much. Um, And I think that I kind of, I, I felt like he was just being anxious, but I remember that we were all feeling kind of like on edge about sexual assault. Mostly because we had gone to um, like an orientation Um, when they gave us as part of orientation for the study abroad program, they warned us about sexual assault and they warned us about the bystander effect. So they said, if you see someone who is getting hurt or if you see someone who's being harassed, speak up, don't be a bystander. And they told us a story about um, a woman who was studying abroad somewhere, was using a bathroom, um, like a porta potty or something like that, like an outhouse. And um, somebody tried to get into the outhouse and assault her. And someone in the program, um, he like came forward and uh, knocked the door down and like saved her. And so I remember listening to that and thinking like, oh, I would I would be a hero like I would speak up. Um, But I think that none of us really knew just how woefully unprepared we were to handle sexual assault when it really happened. Um, So anyways, we're at the bar. We're all kind of like talking about Spanish and talking about school and the program. And um, Ignacio came by and he handed me a raffle ticket. And I was already kind of drinking at that point. I just kind of took it and said, thank you. And then later in the night, um, somebody came by and looked at my ticket and was like, oh, you won. And I was like, I won what? because I had no idea that there was like a raffle going on or anything. And he said, you want a free trip to Portugal with Discover Excursions. Um, So that night I messaged Manuel on Facebook. He had friended all of us on Facebook and I said, "Um, I didn't sign up for a trip. I didn't give you my name. Like how am I, how am I going to even like receive this trip? And he was like, don't worry about it. Like, you're going to get it. Like, don't worry. I already put your name down. I put your name down. Something like that. And I remember thinking about um, advice that I had gotten from my dad. My dad is like pretty well traveled. And one of the things that he said was um, beware of people who pounce. Like when you get that feeling that somebody is just pouncing on you. Like, nobody really wants to be your friend that bad. Yeah. (laughs) Like, they probably have some kind of ulterior motive. And I feel like that was such a good way to describe the way that I felt with Manuel. Like, I felt like he was pouncing, Um, not just on me, but on a lot of other people in the program. So I was uneasy about it, but it was a free trip to Portugal. Like, I wanted to go. So I promised my parents um, I'm going to be okay. Another thing was that a lot of people in the program were going. And a lot of people in the program were going for free. And when we got there on that day, it was almost entirely women who were going on the trip. But the people who were in charge of the trip were all men. And they were it was Manuel and the guys, like the guys who worked for him, who were our culture guides, um, like Ignacio. Um, and I just kind of chalked that up to like, it was a liberal arts study abroad program. Um, we were studying Spanish. A lot of the people who study Spanish, it does tend to be women. So I figured that it was something like going on like that. Um, But there were a lot of us. We filled like two or three huge buses to go from Seville to Portugal. Um, And I told CIE that I was going to be going with him. Like we had a program that you could use to report um, when you were going on a trip. And so I let them know um the people who were in charge of the trip were also like the men who worked for manuel were mostly like handsome like they were like these handsome young guys so already on the trip there were girls who were involved in the program who were like flirting with the guys or like the guys were flirting with them or they were starting to get like romantically involved um so it was pretty well mixed like the group um I actually didn't know it at the time, but Lauren, the young woman who passed away, was on one of those buses. She had a friend who was studying abroad elsewhere, and she said, I got this free trip to Portugal. You should come with me. And so her friend came to meet up with her, and they went to Portugal together. Um, So I remember this trip, like I look back on it, and I just remember being in like a foul mood. There was no food provided, but there was tons of alcohol provided. Tons of liquor for free, but no food um, that I can remember. And we were out in the sun. So we were at this hotel. It was like this beautiful hotel. We had a private beach um, and there were pools out behind it. Like he had really set us up in this really nice place. And as we were walking down to the beach on the first day, kind of on the stone path, um, he was just handing us drinks. Like, as soon as we came in, he was constantly handing us liquor. And I remember I took a sip and immediately like gagged. Um, but then I went, I was hanging out on the beach. I took a photo. I said like something about Lagos being beautiful. Um, and then that night he said that he was gonna like take us out to a bar. Um, he would always warn us, I should mention, this was also on the bus, he would always warn us that Portugal was very dangerous. So he was always saying, if you ever um, need to leave the hotel, you need to tell me. Don't leave the hotel without telling me. Um, Don't do anything without telling me. And we he was kind of echoing other people who we had spoken to, like our friends and our family, who they were worried about us. So um, they were always telling us the same thing, like, you need to be careful. This could be a dangerous place. You're in a foreign country. Um, Not all, like we, as a whole, There were people on the trip who spoke Spanish, but mostly like we were there to learn Spanish. So a lot of us weren't like at a level of fluency where we could communicate. And if there was anyone who spoke Portuguese, like it was a coincidence. So we believed him. We were like, okay, we'll put our trust in you. Um, So he took us out to a bar that night, kind of like hurting us as a group. And once we got to the bar, he started buying me drinks. So many drinks. I don't even know if he was buying them um, because I found out later that he had deals with a lot of the restaurants in the area where he would just like girls would drink free. So he I remember he was handing me so many shots that I started like giving them away to other people because I was like, I don't want this. And then I was already, like, I was hungover from the morning, I was sunburned, and I was just miserable with him. Like, I already didn't like him, so then if once on top of that I was feeling the pressure, um, I was just not having a good night. So then at one point he tried to um, grab my hand and, like, pull me up onto a table to dance with him in front of a bunch of other people, and I pulled my hand out of his. He kept trying to dance with me, and I kind of kept, like, trying to escape, but he was very... um, like very rough, like he would, he would grab you and you'd have to like pull away. Um, and you could tell he was really grabbing you, like you'd have the vice grip on your hand. Um, and so then he had told us when we get there, when you wanna go home, you need to tell us. And uh, so I went to him and I think it, it was early in the night and I said, um, I'm not having fun, I wanna go home. And he said, well, we just got here, like um, wait until the end of the night and then I'll walk you home. And I was like, no, I wanna go home now. Um, so I'm just gonna walk back, and he was like, it's very dangerous out there. You don't know the way back. It's the middle of the night. Like, you should not do that. You need to be careful. And I was like, I'll be fine, thanks. And I went to leave, and then he got belligerent with me. He started kind of chastising me. He was saying, um, you told me that you went to Penn State, but I don't believe you because Penn State girls are fun, and you're not fun. You're boring. Look at you. Like, you're ruining this party. Like, everybody thinks you're boring. And I kind of looked at him like, what's your problem? (laughs) And I said, "Um," I said, how old are you, Manuel? And he was, or no, I said, where do you go to school? And he said, "Um, I'm not in university. And I said, then why are you always hanging out with like university students? And I kind of wish that I had come up with a better, like comeback or whatever, like a better remark. Um, But I think that, um, I think that that was kind of my way of saying like what are you doing here right like what is your mo um why are like why do you want to hang out with us mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I walked back home um I turned around after I said that I turned around and left and he kind of half-heartedly was like shouting things after me um and then the whole way home I like had my head on a swivel I was making sure that I was safe Um, and fortunately, like I, I didn't remember the way home, but I ended up like finding the hotel. Um, and then I remember when I got home, I called my boyfriend at the time and I was like, I want to go home. Like I'm having the worst time. And I think that, um, maybe subconsciously I was picking up on something that, um, maybe I didn't consciously know about yet. Um, maybe at the time I would have just said like, I'm uncomfortable or the vibes are off But um, what I was really feeling was that it was an unsafe situation. And that was why I was feeling so homesick. That was why I wanted to go home. Um, So the next morning, I was staying with a couple girls. And they were talking about how much they liked Manu and how much they liked the guys. And I said, um, he's a creep. Like, you guys don't think he's a creep? Um, and, And I think I brought up, like, why is he... Um, cause I, I thought he was in his forties. I said, why is he in his forties? And he's hanging out with like all these college kids. And, um, then the one girl said, no, like I, I, can see that, but I think that he's just kind of like a dad. Like, I think he's a dad. Like he, he's really protective of us. Like he wants to take, he wants to like make sure everybody's okay. Kind of like be on top of the whole situation. Um, and I kind of left it at that. Um, the, that day they took us on a trip to a tourist location, I forget what it's called, um, it's near Lagos, but they'll call it the end of the world. So it's these cliffs that you can look out over the um, over the ocean from there. And um, I was with an Australian guy named Benny and Ignacio, they were driving us there. And the whole way over Ignacio was bragging about how easy it is to sleep with American women. And he was saying, I met a girl at Penn State, she invited me back. Um, he said that he like slept his way through the sororities, except he didn't say slept. Um, he was like, I just went through all the sororities and he was saying it's so easy because I'm European, because I have an accent. And, um, and then he started like mocking them, like doing kind of the, the high pitched voice, like, uh, oh, like say something in Spanish, like, uh, and pretending to record them on, on Snapchat. And I was just getting more and more irritated. And then I said, you're a dog. And then as soon as I said it, everyone else in the car, I was like, oh, come on, like, <laughs> leave him alone. Um, and I remember there was a girl with me who um, I really liked. She had like a she had like really cool style. And she was like, um, she was like, oh, leave him alone. You know, like if I if I got with that many people, then like I'll be bragging, too. And um, I remember I kind of looked out the window and I felt like I almost felt like so embarrassed. Like, I felt like I was, like, this bitter, like... Party pooper. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Especially because that's what Ignacio was saying the night before. Um, I'm
1: the same way, though. Like, I would be so irritated if somebody was just
0: saying all that Yeah. Stuff. I don't like that either. I didn't like the way that he was Like, being, I'm not going to be like, yeah, great job. <laughs> yeah, good job. You're, like, demeaning the people you slept right. with. Like, I think that that was... It wasn't the issue, obviously. It wasn't that he, like, slept with people. It was that he was then being, like, disrespectful yeah. in the way that he spoke about them. Right. Um. So... When we left the next day, I remember that my roommates who I'd been staying with, the ones who had defended Manuel, um, they seemed really different. Um, They, I had spent the night elsewhere, like I think that I had like stayed with a friend or something because they were partying in a room. Um, And when I got back, the room was trashed. Like there was a layer of water on the ground. There were um, like... uh, what are they called, like Q-tips and Mm. um, paper towels or toilet paper, like littering the floor. I remember there was like a broken pair of heels in the floor and I was embarrassed because it was my room and I felt like we're leaving it this way and somebody's gonna have to clean it up. Um, And when they were leaving, I like picked up the heels and I was like, you forgot these. And she was kind of like, oh, thanks. And they seemed really kind of like distant. And I think I said something like, guys, even if we don't have to clean this up, like somebody has to clean this up. Like we shouldn't leave it so, so trashed. And they were like, yeah, you're right. Sorry, sorry. And just kind of like rushed out. And I, the reason that I have that memory is because now what I know now about who he was and what would happen when people partied alone with him. I just really wish that I was like more kind to them, like that I was maybe more sympathetic or like ask them if something had happened. So on the way home, Manuel sat next to me on the bus. He was kind of like annoying me the whole way home. Um, I go by my middle name, which is Siobhan, um, but then my first name is Mary. So usually if I'm friends with somebody, I'll tell them that my name is Siobhan. Um, And I didn't want to be his friend, so he just called me Mary. Um, And he was like poking me, and he was he kept saying my name over and over. He kept being like, Mary, Mary. And I remember that I said, um, I was talking about my family was gonna come to visit, and I was asking for tips, like things to do around Seville. And he started joking. I'm like uncomfortable even like talking about this, but he started joking, saying, like, well never mind. I don't know if I even want to like talk about that part. Don't he was uh, yeah, well he was he was saying like um he was making comments about like, oh, I know your daddy has money. Like yeah. I, I can tell. And I remember that um I just I just remember feeling really like physically uncomfortable around mm-hmm. him. So he annoyed me the whole way home. And then um, he just didn't, it
1: just sounds like too, he just didn't have a comfortable presence at yeah, all. Yeah, no. <laughs> like he it seems just like he would corner you and make like say things and do things to make you feel the most uncomfortable that he could make you feel.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to phrase it. Like that's a good way to kind of like sum it up.
1: Yeah. Um I'm sure in one way or another everybody's felt that way from somebody. You know, at some point that like you just it's like that gut feeling you're just like get me out of here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like this. <laughs>
0: Um, so my family came to visit Seville. Um, and I remember that my dad, um, had like, he, when he met my host mom, he like took off his hat and he had practiced how to say in Spanish, thank you for taking care of my daughter so that she would understand it. Um, and I, I kind of like, I knew that they worried about me. Um, but I w- at 20 years old, like, I already considered myself an adult. Like, I was kind of like, they don't need to worry about me. Like, I've got it all figured hey. out. Um, and then when I was compiling information about this, I wrote an article about it later. And when I was going back and, like, looking at old photos, I just couldn't get over, like, how, how little I looked, like, how young I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that contrasted with what I thought in my head about how, like, oh, I'm I'm all grown up. And even not even just
1: the way you look, but, like, when we look back at pictures or memories it's like I remember my mindset back then and it was very different than yeah. my, even even like I don't even think it's an age thing I just think like the more experience and maturity level like the older you get even if it's just a year ago like mm-hmm. a, me a year ago my mindsets were so different and mm-hmm. way less mature than they are this year you know what it means like every year we're evolving and changing yeah so it's like I can only imagine you no know, one when we're especially when you're 18 19 20 you're like oh I, I know everything yeah I, I don't like need need nobody anybody. needs to
0: worry about right. me like nothing would ever happen to me. Yeah. In general,
1: I think people don't ever no one I don't think most of the time thinks that anything's gonna happen or they, they don't really think the worst, but
0: Yeah. And then I look back and I'm like, oh I was so I was so vulnerable. Like mm-hmm. I was just in this different in this it completely different country. Um and this was a guy like we didn't see that vulnerability in ourselves, but he saw it in us. Yeah. And that was exactly what he took advantage of. Um so the last night of my family's visit was the night that Lauren passed away. Um, we, So my family left, I said goodbye to them in the airport, and then I got an email from the CIE program with the subject line, terrible news. Um, and then in the email, they explained that someone in our program um, had died from a tragic accident. A friend of mine responded to the email and said, can I have more information? Like, what right. does that mean? And they said um, there was an accident, you know, basically just reiterated. Um, we can't we can't give you any more information at this time. Um, I kind of isolated myself after that because there was so we we just didn't know much. Um, so we were all texting each other in the program saying, you um, if anybody had information, of course, like people started were talking about it a lot. But I was just ordering food, kind of staying home, um, self-isolating a little bit. And then, um, so the way that the program worked, it was three months, and each month you could take like a different class. So I was taking the first month. Um, I, I was taking I was taking all three, like a different class. But most people would do like one month, and then they would go home. Um, so because she died at the end of the month, a lot of the people who knew her or who knew about the incident, Emmanuel and all of that, they were already home. Okay. Um, and there were a few of us who stayed behind. And we would try to tell people um, just be careful about um, discover excursions. So as we started like talking to each other and learning more, um, I kind of start to get more details. So the official story was that um, it was the night of her 21st birthday. She went out, she got drunk, um, and then she fell from a balcony. And so it was just painted as like a tragic accident that happens with a, uh, you know, drunk college kid. Um, These things happen, but nobody's to blame. But then there were other details about it that kind of gave me pause. Um, When she fell, she was in her underwear. Um, She had been separated from her friends. A lot of her friends were now kind of clamming up and not really saying what happened on that night. Um, And the apartment she fell from was Manuel's apartment. And she was with Manuel that night. Um, So they did a memorial service for her. I kind of learned more about her. She also went to Penn State. We had a lot of mutual friends. She played French horn. Um, She was really beautiful, like a really beautiful girl. I remember just looking at her photo and kind of sitting through the whole memorial service and thinking, like, oh, my God, that so easily could have been me. Right. Like, she, I feel like when somebody in, like, a program like that or something like that passes away, it's almost like when you're on the street and you, like, narrowly avoid getting hit by a bus and you just feel it, like, whoosh past and you kind of have that feeling of, like, oh, that was really close. Like, that was, that one was really close to me. Um. So... The rumors were that people couldn't share more details because there was an investigation going on, supposedly against Manuel. Um, and because she was at his apartment, that was one of the things that was strange about it as well. So I was talking about it a little bit, kind of asking questions, of course, like trying to figure out what happened. And then uh, there's another girl in the program, I'll call her uh, Melissa. She, um, according to rumors, was hooking up with one of the guys who worked for Manuel. So she came to me after class one time and she said, "Um, Hey, you went on that like discover excursions trip to Portugal, right? Um, And I said, yeah. And she was like, don't tell CIE that you went with Manuel. And I was like, wait, Manuel, isn't associated with CIE. And she was like, no, no, no. He just like does his own thing. Um, And I was like, why would I not be allowed to tell them that I went with Manuel? And she said, oh, you know, like, we just don't want people to start asking questions. Um, And so I kind of tried to press her, but I got the impression that she was kind of relaying with this message without even really knowing why. So she kind of rushed out and avoided the conversation. Um, So then there was one night when I was with some friends. It was actually my friend. I'll call her Amaya, who messaged CIE and asked for more details. I was sitting with her the one night we were kind of having red wine um, with like a small group and people were talking about what happened with Lauren and she said you know I didn't believe for a second that that girl's death was an accident and I remember at the time I was like flushed and it was hot and i remember i smacked the table and i was like thank you so much i didn't know if her death was an accident but i was just so relieved to have somebody who was kind of putting words to how bizarre the situation was mm-hmm. and who was acknowledging that there was something strange about it when before that i felt like we almost were like so hushed about it we didn't want to acknowledge that it was strange So when she said that, I felt, like, more empowered to talk about it. And I started telling people, stay away from Manuel. Stay away from these trips. I don't know what's going on with him, but something is off. And then a friend of mine from back home at Penn State messaged me on Facebook, and she said, Lauren's mom wants to talk to you. Um, So her name was Carrie. And why do you think her mom came to you? I think that she was looking for more information, kind of, from anyone who would give it. Okay. And I think that she knew that I was on this trip. um, And... I was just speaking about it. And so I guess that through mutual friends, it got to somebody who got to somebody that I was on the trip and that, um, and maybe that I'd gone with Manuel to to Portugal as well. Um, So I texted her, of course, like offered my condolences. Um, She asked me about CIE. She asked me about studying. And then she said, What do you know about Manu White? I said he was creepy. I told her everything I knew. I told her about the trip, the trips. Um, And she told me Lauren also called Manu creepy. Like that was how she described him in messages. Um, And then she messaged me and she said, I I asked her kind of about if there was anything going on with like the investigation into her death. And she said, um, I got written, a written sheet with notes from students. Almost all said, sorry for your loss. Weird, cold even from girls, friends. The friends have been aligning stories and clammed up like Lauren was nobody, sickening. Um, and that was her words. I do kind of want to portray her in her words without giving the impression that I could always condone what she said because I don't know what happened to the girls on that night. I don't know how they've been traumatized or controlled. or right. and like. And those I, would
1: be the girls that – you were talking about when you handed the heels and you were saying
0: about... Oh, no. These were um, these were different girls who were with Lauren on the night that Got she it. passed. Got it.
1: Okay. Um, that were her friends.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, um, at this point, we didn't really... She All we knew was that on her 21st birthday, she went out with friends. Um, and then later in the night, she fell from a balcony. And as a result of which, she passed away. Um, and we... She was in, like, an internship program, and I was taking classes. So we were in, like, slightly different classes. Um, and I will say that, like, the the girls who were with her on that night have later opened up. The girls who were with her on that night have later, like, shared more information. Even on, like, um, there was a podcast that came out and... Um, I really commend them for that. Like I think that it it must have just been such a traumatic night. I can't even remember, I can't even imagine it. So, um I'm really glad that they're speaking about it, but I do think that this more than I don't want this to give the impression that that these girls did something wrong. I think that it should more speak to kind of how desperate Carrie was for information. Even the fact that she was coming to me, who like was only really like peripherally related right. to the to the whole thing. Um so when she ended the conversation, she said, all I want is the truth. If you think of anything, please let me know. This has been a nightmare. Um, she messaged me a few more times, um, but I had kind of—I had already told her everything that I knew. Like I couldn't, you know, you can't like convict someone of murder just because he like gave you a bad feeling. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to elaborate beyond what I knew. Um, so I went back to State College, Pennsylvania, Um, which is where Penn State is, uh, for my third year. Um, And Carrie said, now that you're back, she asked if she could buy me lunch. Um, I was a little bit uncomfortable with, like, going to lunch with her um, because I had already kind of told her everything that I knew. And she said, um, so I kind of reluctantly accepted that we could get a coffee near my house. Um, She... Hmm. I, I think that it's kind of what I mentioned. I think the reason that I went was because I thought if she's if she's talking to me, she must be desperate. Um. So when she came to meet up with me, I was waiting for her kind of working on my laptop. And when she came in, I was just struck by the sight of her. It was like this. It was like her grief was was a physical burden. Like she um, she had an oxygen tank with her um she was really pale um she was having trouble walking having trouble breathing um but i could still see that she looked like lauren like i could still see lauren's pretty features like on her face even though she was so unhealthy um so when she sat down i asked her about lauren i learned that lauren was an only child um she i asked her a little bit about what lauren was like about her personality Um, I asked her if it was difficult for her to be at Penn State. Um, She said that it was actually kind of comforting in a way because she liked to walk around the campus and kind of imagine Lauren walking there and what she might have been thinking about when she did that. She showed me photos of Lauren when she was a little girl, and she told me about, like, signs that she got from Lauren, maybe, like, in a butterfly, or she said the one time that she was just feeling like she was at rock bottom. She said, Lauren, if you're here, please show yourself to me, and um, then lights in her tea cabinet turned on. Um... So then she asked me about rumors, like if there's anything else that I knew, like, please tell me if there's anything else you know about Manuel White. And I just kind of told her again, everything that I had said before. And then I said, I mean, anything else, like it was the only thing that we knew were rumors, like we were kind of kept in the dark. And then her energy changed. And she was like, rumors, what rumors? What did you hear? Um, And I was like, no, no, no. I mean, they were just like there's rumors. I don't, I don't want to say anything that isn't true. Like, I don't want to confirm anything that isn't true. And she was like, but what did you hear? What did you hear? And I said, I kind of real, I felt cornered and I realized that she wasn't going to stop asking for information. So I said, I heard that when she fell, she was naked. And she immediately just got disappointed. And I kind of had this sinking feeling. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, um, I wish that I could tell you more. Like, I wish that I had what you were looking for. Um, and then she said, it's just so difficult to know what, you know, as a mother and not be able to like move forward with it. And then she told me about messages that she got from Lauren before Lauren died. So, um, again, this is just what I heard from Carrie. Like I'm representing her in her words. Um, I haven't like backed this up with other sources, but she told me that when Lauren went to end of the world with her friend um, Manuel became obsessed with her friend and he was messaging her all the time and calling her all the time. Um, and this was on the same Portugal trip that I was on. And then afterwards, Lauren told him, um, to back off or kind of told him to like, take it easy or something like that. Um, and then it got to the point where she messaged someone and her mom found these texts after she passed. She messaged somebody and she said, I'm afraid he's going to do something to me. About Manuel. Um, so after everything happened, after I met with Carrie, I felt really kind of heavy about it, um, because people who were close to her were quiet about it. So I was kind of worried that me talking about it, that I would get things wrong, or I think my biggest concern was that it would be triggering. Like if I, if I posted about it, or if I got to somebody that I was talking about it, then somebody who was closer with her would have to like relive this trauma all over again. And so I was really fearful of that. So I did tell the story a lot, especially when I met young women who traveled. Um, But I didn't tell it on social media. I didn't tell it publicly. Um, Okay, so we'll fast forward a little bit. In 2017, I graduated from school, graduated from undergrad. I worked for a little while. I got certified as um, an English teacher. And in 2018, I got a job teaching on the Galapagos Islands off the coast of Ecuador for about a year. Um, so before I went, I went, um, my my best friend lives in New York. So I went to stay with him um, before flying out of JFK. And we were kind of like celebrating to like have a trip before I started this new job. And someone who I had spoken to about the story, uh, the night before I left, they messaged me on Facebook. And she messaged me something and she said, I'm sorry that this is incredibly dark. But the first thing I remembered was the story you told me about the girl who passed away the summer we were in Seville. Do you think there's a correlation? This has me so shaken up. And she sent me a video to, I think it was the Today Show with Megyn Kelly. And the title of the video was Young Woman Alleges She Was Raped by Tour Director on Overseas Trip. Um, So it's an interview with a young woman named Gabrielle Vega. And she was talking about Discover Excursions, and then she showed a photo of the man who I knew as Manuel White. And um, when I saw his photo, just like my throat originally, uh, like immediately tensed. I remember my friend was sitting near me, and I started yelling at the phone, like, oh my God, that's him, that's him. Um, I knew him as Manuel White. His real name was Manuel Blanco Vela. He was really, I guess, like not creative because he just translated his last name to English, and then that was his fake name. <laughs> um, so on this, on, uh, this Megan Kelly today, uh, on the show, the young woman explained that, uh, so Gabrielle Vega studied abroad when she was 19 years old. Um, in Spain, she went on a trip to Morocco with Discover Excursions in November, 2013. Um, it, he told them that it was dangerous at night. So stay with me in the hotel. He had brought invited them to an after party. He poured them drinks, um, um, he put a drug in her drink. Um, then at night, she kind of like woke up and was stumbling, incoherent. Um, and he raped her. He abused her. It was a very, very violent attack, um, to say that without going into without going into the details too much. Um, but she said she's 100% sure she knows that she was raped. She remembers it. And uh, she could even just tell from her body the next day what had happened. She had bruises on her eyes, bruises on her knees. Um, she went back to school, she told one girl who was staying with her. And she said it wasn't like, a Oh, um, somebody might have crossed a line. I had this weird situation. It was like, No, I was I was raped. Um, What do I do? And another girl in the program told her, "Um, this is something that you need to get over. Like, there's something that you need to move on from. Um, Like things happen, you were drinking with him, kind of like just dismissed it. So I think she kind of decided, like, I'm just going to try to, like, move past this. Um, But then she started experiencing really severe PTSD symptoms. Um, And she didn't tell her parents. She was at school kind of trying to study. But one of the symptoms of her PTSD is she would go into these sort of, like, fugue states. um, So where she would not have any memory even though she was completely sober. And the one time she woke up without any memory and she was on the floor and she was holding a knife. And she was having a lot of suicidal ideations. So she decided um I need to like I need to tell my parents. So she told her mom and they said uh she told I think her mom and dad and they told her to come home. So she dropped out of school and went back to to live with them and heal. And then she ended up going back to school, was talking to a therapist, kind of working through it privately with her family. And then she um messaged there was an art exhibit at her school. And they said it was some sort of art exhibit, like a submit like a story that happened to you and I'm going to use it. Like her friend was putting on an art exhibit. I'll use the audio that you wrote. And she said, well, I had something crazy happen to me. So she told the story of her assault and submitted it to her friend. And then her friend called her and she said, I'm so sorry for what happened to you. I had no idea. And then she said, this happened to my friend. Was his name Manuel? And... She realized, oh my God, if in my immediate circle, there's already one victim. Like if I've told such a minimal amount of people and we've already gotten in touch with the victim, how many people are out there? How many people has he assaulted? Um, so she, when it happened to her, she didn't report it to the police, but there were two other girls um, who came on the show, the Megyn Kelly Today show, who did report it to the police um they were also attacked by him they managed to escape because there were two of them and one of them threw the door open and she said everybody can hear you everybody can see what you're doing and that was when he kind of like released them because he was holding on to them and trying to trying to attack them um and even when that happened there were two they went the two girls went running to their friends uh some other some guys on the trip and they were sobbing crying they said what had happened and the guys went to confront Manuel and they said um uh, why, what, what did you do to them? And he was just saying uh, they wanted it. They came on to me. So this is what this is what the girls talk about on the Megyn Kelly show. Um, the next day, Manuel disappeared, but they reported everything to the police. So this was, I think, two years after I was there. So they, re- they filed a police report saying, we were sexually assaulted by this guy. And when the police came to meet up with them, the policeman um, yelled at them, for wasting his time, he was basically said kind of like, "This isn't this isn't bad enough to warrant like you calling a police officer." Um, so, they reported everything, but then nothing happened after that. So it is like on the books that this guy is is a rapist, um, and he still had a business after that. Like he continued hurting people after that. So um, after this show, I added Gabrielle on Facebook. Um, Gabrielle Vega the only, the first woman who came forward I feel like any anytime that something like this happens anytime there's a predator who has a lot of victims um, a lot of the people who people talk about on your show I feel like they they keep getting away with it until they do it like one time to the wrong person right. and that person is like I'm gonna be the one who stops this and for us that person was Gabrielle Vega like she was the one who stood up and was like and she wasn't even – he he accused her afterwards of being, like, fame-seeking, which is, like, he's not famous, but he accused her afterwards of being fame-seeking. And I think that it's pretty obvious that she she didn't say anything about it until she realized that there were other victims. Right. And I think that that – it's kind of sad for us sometimes that we, we kind of wake up when we realize that it's happening to other people. We realize just how bad it is. And
1: Right. Like, it's not enough that it just – if it would have just happened to you. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I added her on Facebook after I saw this video and she shared not long after on Facebook that since the Today Show posted the story about it, more than 50 women had contacted her and had wow. been assaulted by her. Um, and it was the same guy. Like he was exposed as a serial rapist because they brought attention to it. Discover Excursions closed. Um, thank God. And then it looks like his process was he moved around Spain's study abroad programs he was a travel guide he hired young men who worked with him kind of to be like his bait and that was like in our case that was Ignacio um, and they got jobs with CIE as tour guides or then there were also cases where um, I know that like with FSU he came to their study abroad program and gave them a uh, presentation about like this is discover excursions this is what we do So it was like a whole program that he basically
1: made just to rape girls.
0: Yeah. And and feed
1: them alcohol and whatever else.
0: And he intentionally gained access to women who are vulnerable and far from home. Right. And he would encourage us to drink excessively. And then when that wasn't enough, he used date rape drugs, and he would rape women when they were incoherent. And all of his victims have like very similar stories. It would be like I had one glass of champagne and then I woke up the next day like, bloody and beaten and i know that it was like in his bed right (laughs) and for some reason he only really did it to americans um i think i as far as i know it seems like he really focused on like american study abroad programs I think because they were probably the most vulnerable. Like, I feel like he could
1: give them information and make them feel like, well, you need me to feel safe in these other countries. So it's like, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I have a couple of theories about it. I think we were far from home. Like, if he was with somebody from, like, Belgium or something like that, then they wouldn't be as far from home. And they might have a little bit more context about, like, how to report a rape, like, in the EU. We were just kind of, like, clueless. Like, we didn't know how to report anything like that. We didn't know how to talk about it. Like, a lot of people didn't even really have, like, the words for what happened to them, like it was just so violent, mm-hmm. um, and I think that we also, uh, my my one friend was saying last night, like there is it with our university culture, like it, a lot of it is built around like just partying and like having a good time and kind of like letting loose, um, and like I definitely partook in that. Like I'm not criticizing that at all, but I do think it was something that he took advantage of. Absolutely. Um. So if you all. If you're watching and you have any information about him, or if you were attacked by him, assaulted by him, if you knew him and have a story that's similar to these, if this is sounding familiar, his name is Manuel Blanco Vela. Um, Gabrielle made an email where you can send her information. There are multiple court cases going on right now, so please send it to de survivors at gmail.com,
1: and we'll link it below too.
0: So okay, cool. Um, I'm not sure if I should mention, I guess I can mention the court cases, um, but the important part is just that people, if you have any information, like if you're feeling alone and you went through something like this, DE survivors So is he in prison right now or no? Um, so he is not in jail. Okay. Um, jump forward a little bit to tell you, to answer that. Um, it seems like he... He has multiple criminal cases against him. He was ordered to pay about seventy-four thousand euros to Lauren's family. I think for something like negligence. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on a no-fly list. His business is closed, but he is free. Like he's not in jail. Okay. Um, he should definitely be in jail. Like yeah. he's a really, really dangerous person, and he's probably still victimizing people because they're because he's not in jail.
1: Right. And then there's and I feel like people like that they can always find a way around things um Mm -hmm. have there been any theories that have
0: come out of what happened to lauren that night uh yeah so i sent after i saw the video um i sent it to carrie as soon as i saw it uh lauren's mom and she said that she had already seen it she said she was talking to gabrielle um and then this time she wrote me he killed my daughter she's not on this earth because of manu she didn't do anything to deserve all this so she pretty wholeheartedly believed like this is the man who killed right. my daughter.
1: And also why would she be naked if she that thought was, he was creepy? Yeah.
0: Like it just doesn't. I'll go a little bit I'll go a little bit more into detail about that later. Okay. Just from things that I've learned. Um like did they do you know if they found any like drugs or anything in her system? Like they from- they did a toxicology report, but we don't know if they tested for date rape drugs okay. or if they just tested for like party drugs right. or like to see if like she was consuming drugs herself. Her um Alcohol blood level was described as nearly comatose, and um, he was completely sober. Um, so Which we is don't... just bizarre. I know, like that is so. But bizarre. Just like that
1: in and of itself is right. like a red flag. Doesn't even make sense. Um, you wouldn't even do that with your friends. Like, why would one friend be yeah. extremely drunk and one sober? Like, that sounds like <laughs> a terrible
0: time, if you ask mm-hmm. me. Like, um, I'll I'll share a little bit more about that. I I uh, just want to make sure that I'm like that I don't miss anything. Okay um so as soon as that happened kind of in a rush like as soon as I saw the video I wrote out what I knew about Lauren and what I had talked to about Carrie and I uh was gonna post it on Facebook and I took a screenshot and I sent it to her and I said um can I post this like are you comfortable with me posting this about your daughter just with all the information that I've shared with you today basically but like summarized Um, And she said, yes, please share it. But like, first, let's set up a phone call because there were things that she knew Mm -hmm. um, that she wasn't letting on to me that she knew. Um, And she wanted to like clarify more details before I posted it just so that we could get like the um, get, I guess, just all the context that we needed. So I said, yeah, like, we'll talk on the phone. Let me know when a time works. And then I went to go to bed. I was flying out the next morning to go to Quito, Ecuador. Um and then it's the middle of the night and like my head starts going I start feeling like this is a really vulnerable story I don't know. Uh, i'm a little bit embarrassed to like share something so personal like on social media I'm, not the only one involved. So I kind of got cold feet and I remember like I text I Texted her in the middle of the night kind of with my phone like uh, and I said I uh, I said that I was getting cold feet like I said that I was anxious. She said I really want you to post it. I think that the way that you described it, um, was, was like well put. And she said, um, I, I said, I'm sorry. Like, it just makes me anxious. I don't know if I want to share something so personal. This guy is still out there. Um, and she said, uh, she said that she's basically disappointed but she understood i didn't reply for a little while and then she messaged me again and she asked me about my travels a little context for like what was going on in my life when she was messaging me about my travels um i was in quito ecuador for a month um dealing with a lot of bureaucratic things because the the galapagos are um they're a national park. So to work there, you have to get a lot of like clearances. So I was there in Quito, kind of getting all my clearances, doing interviews. And then I went to the Galapagos. And when I got to the Galapagos, I didn't have an internet connection, except for in the school where I worked, we had kind of like a slow internet connection. Um, I My family had gone through a scary illness around like 2016. And I was feeling kind of like burnt out by my life in the US. And I just kind of checked out. Like I was reading a lot, spending a lot of time in nature. I meant to get back to Carrie, um, but I never got the chance. And then, or because of the mindset that I was in at the time. And then when I checked to see her again, I saw that she had passed away. Oh, wow. So she um, died to be with her daughter. I think that she died from a broken heart. Like, I really think that she died from grief. Um, So at that point, there... I, um years later, decided to write an article about it now that I kind of have the, the hindsight to look back on it. Um, and when I was compiling information to put together, um, the I found the court documents. So the court documents said that um, she went out with her friends on the night of her 21st birthday. They passed around a bottle of vodka. This is when they said she was borderline comatose. Um, she took her clothes off to get into a jacuzzi um, this is what Manuel said, the jacuzzi didn't have any water in it, so I don't know why that happened. Um, and then, uh, according to the court documents, the friend who Lauren was with initiated foreplay with him, with Manuel, so, like, took him away. And then, uh, when they came back, uh, Lauren was gone. They said that she stumbled and she fell off the roof, like, she must have just fallen where there was not a balcony. Um, But in more recent months, I've learned a few more details about those court documents. Um, This podcast from WBEZ Chicago um, called Motive uh, in season two, a journalist named Candace Mattel-Kahn really just did an excellent job like compiling information about this. Um, She talked to a lot of the people who were involved. And so in that podcast, she interviews the girl who was with Lauren that night. The girl says that night I was drunk to the point of blackout. And then also because she saw Lauren, she was traumatized by it. So there are a lot of things that she doesn't remember, but she remembers enough to know that the court documents were not entirely accurate. So the court documents, they took the girl who was with Lauren, they took her statement. Um, the, the night that it happened, like right after she saw Lauren die, and uh, she was still extremely drunk. They never called her back and asked for more details. So, question: What did she watch her fall and die, or she or they?
1: They they claim that they came back and she was already dead.
0: They claim that they came back and she was gone. They looked over the balcony Got and they saw that she had fallen. Okay. Um. And did the girl say if she was with that guy the whole night? She said, so um, Lauren was with a group of friends. They met Manuel when they were out, like, at a bar. And then that one other girl who I'm I, – I don't want to use her name just because mm-hmm. I yeah. want to keep it private. But her and Lauren went back to – with Manuel okay. to Manuel's apartment. And when Manuel gave his statement to the police, they kind of, like, took his word over what the girl uh-huh. was saying or anyone else was saying. So him saying, oh, she came on to me. Like, she took me away from Lauren. That's the same language that we heard him use before when he was speaking about those two girls who came forward to Megyn Kelly, who said that um, when, they th- when they flung the door open and they said, everybody can see you, and then the men came to confront him, he said, no, they came on to me. Mm-hmm. So then he gave his statement to the police and he said, um, the, the police report is based pretty much just on what Manuel right. said. And he said, oh, she, I'm assuming, that he was the one who said, oh, she took me away to initiate foreplay. She came on to me. She came forward later and said on this podcast, I had no interest in him romantically. Like I there's, I had no reason um, to initiate foreplay with him. Like, I don't think that's true at all. Um, she also has said that um, when they were going down the stairs or after Lauren passed away, she remembers that he said to her, um, hey, what happened here tonight is going to be our secret, okay? We're not going to tell anybody. Um, and other than that, she says that there's just like a lot she doesn't remember. I mean, like, God, poor thing. Like, she was probably so traumatized by everything that happened. So, um, I think that it it just seems like beyond that, she only knows enough to know that like the court documents are not accurate. It seems like they just took his word for it. Also, in that podcast, they interview somebody who works in front of his house, who said that a few hours after he saw Lauren's body, a few hours after Lauren passed, um, he went and like got breakfast and was completely normal and calm. Like, just completely, like, went yeah. about his life. Meanwhile, this girl who was with her and the other girls who involved the friends who were with her that night were, like, completely lost. Um, there was another friend who was with her that night who um, said on the podcast that they were drinking with Manuel, and um, she, Lauren, turned to her friend and said something like, he gives me a weird feeling. She said, basically, that she wasn't comfortable man- around Manuel Which is another reason why I find it strange. That she would get naked. That she would get naked alone in his apartment or that um, even that she would be going back with him unless he was like pushing her in the same way. Um, So there are just a lot of details about the story that are very strange. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they only interviewed the girl that night. Uh, They should have probably gotten a statement from her later, but they said that... um, they said that it would delay the investigation because, I don't know, I guess she had already gone back to, to the U.S. And I
1: feel like there's a chance too. like, you know how when you're super drunk, at least this happens for me, like, you might wake up and not remember things. But then throughout the day or throughout, like, time, you kind of get not flashbacks, but you remember certain things that the next day you didn't remember immediately. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure it can be confusing, too, because, like, you look back and you're like, wait, did that actually happen? I was drunk. I don't know. Can I trust myself? Like, yeah. and especially since they only took his word, it probably made her feel so discredited of, like, what Mm-hmm. she actually like, what's true and what's not because it's like who's going to trust somebody that was drunk
0: yeah exactly. unfortunately and then they only talked to her when she was drunk right and i also commend her for coming forward to this podcast afterwards and sharing more details yeah and it was the type and i completely understand her not wanting to talk about it i mean it's such it's such a heavy story like it, it's hard to talk about even when i was like researching this just like putting it together there's times where I would just have to take a break from looking at it because it because it's so sad like I just she's she was so young um
1: well I do want to mention too not only that but I think there's so many different ways you can look at this one I think it's amazing that it's almost like you've become the voice for Lauren Mm -hmm. and for her family which I think you know in a way I feel like I can see how that would make you feel overwhelmed and uncomfortable because it wasn't you know, your exact experience. And it wasn't your story necessarily to tell. But at the same time, it's like you were there and you met this man that has done this to so many people. And I feel like not enough people would step in your shoes and be like, you know what? Like there's no one that's going to compile all this information and get it out there and bring that awareness. And I feel like you took that stand and did that. And that's so important Hmm. to do.
0: I don't think that I would have – continued talking about it i put it together in an article and then after i posted it i think the people who i was most concerned about were lauren's friends and family yeah. because i was so i was just so worried that they would be like who's this girl like, right like why you don't want to overstep or something it? exactly and i really don't want that to be the way that we remember lauren because she had such a great life and it seems like she had so many friends before um before her passing um and there are friends who are who are still grieving her and who miss her so much and like I'm I'm staying here with my best friend Kate in Baltimore. And just the thought of like losing someone who who you're that close with, who um Lauren's best friend described her as her platonic soulmate in this in this podcast. Um it's a lot it's it's almost too much to comprehend. I mean, um after I posted the story, I felt really kind of like adrift. Like, did I I do the wrong thing in talking about this? And then somebody shared the story in, um, uh, like in, uh, in memory of Lauren Bajorak group, Facebook group or something like that. And I got a few messages from her friends. Um, and I was so moved by, by them because they, they were just very supportive. And they said, thank you so much for sharing this because we didn't know what happened to her. Like, we didn't know what happened to Lauren. We just know that she went to Spain and then there was an accident and then she didn't come home. Um, and um I think that I was after I posted I felt I felt really like alone and and confused and maybe kind of adrift. And then um it wasn't just them. It was like a lot of people who read the story started messaging me and saying something similar happened to me. Um or, or like thank you for for just like sharing the information. Um and that that brought me a lot more comfort. Um, even though like I said, it was it was hard to do, and I'm sure that it's um, hard to like hard to listen to it too. So really, like, thank you so much for like even just sitting down and listening to it, and like being such a good listener.
1: Of course.
0: Um. And like, thank you to anybody who's listening to it because I think that this guy really thrived in a culture of silence. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that he um he got away with what he got away with because we didn't want to talk about it. And um, I think that we have to really kind of like form those networks of talking to each other and saying like, hey, this guy's creepy. There's something wrong. Um, He might have done something terrible.
1: I think too. you like, you know, like I said, you I think the feeling that you had as well of of what you were talking about of like that was a close one, you know, like mm -hmm. when you said like with a a bus or something almost hitting you, it's like I think that's why it hits home with you as well and why Mm -hmm. you feel it as much as you do because you were so close to the situation, um, and it, at the end of the day, it could have been you. It could have been anybody oh, on that trip, 100%. and that's a very scary, traumatic thing to hold on to and to know. Yeah. Um, that you you could have been in that position. But I think too, something to give, and I'll give you I'll give you credit for it if you don't want to give it to yourself. But I <sighs> think that it takes a lot to share someone share your own story but also like well, what we were talking about on the phone like to share your own story but to also share somebody else's in a way but in a way that you're almost not walking on eggshells but trying to do it in the most respectful and informational way mm-hmm. where you're not like taking away from anything or you're not adding to it without you know what I mean without changing it and I think that it's so important because you are spreading awareness and Obviously, like we were saying too, you can see movies and documentaries of women and even men that go on trips and in foreign countries and horrible things happen when um, they don't come back. Or if they do come back, they're traumatized because of what's happened to them. And And I feel like it's too oftentimes that these things are just in movies and it's not enough. Like on podcasts or in interviews where like this is very real, real and you don't have to be scared to go away but you should be so cautious and so aware and and -hmm. stick with your groups and not be so trusting even if somebody makes it seem that way and and maybe to question things you know what I mean like now Mm -hmm. it's like obviously if you ever go away again you're gonna have a completely different mindset than you did when you went on that trip Mm -hmm. and it's not even really to instill fear but reality you know but I give you so much credit for being the voice I feel like of so many people and it's not a bad thing at all like I don't I don't think you go about about it in such a careful, respectful way <laughs> that it's like it doesn't seem like you're overstepping or walking on anyone's toes or sharing too much of anyone's story. I feel like you were, you've literally just become this voice of like, I was here at the same time that this happened. I met this person. He's a terrible person. But also like for anyone out there, if it's happened to you, come forward if you feel comfortable. But also if it hasn't, be aware. And I think that's such an important voice to have because it's not – I feel like there's this misconception that people think it has to happen to you directly mm-hmm. to be able to speak on something. But that's not the case. Like You've almost become this like speaker to help people and to bring awareness to such a bad thing.
0: I also really want to clarify that I'm not the only one. I think that the hero of this story in large part really is Gabrielle Vega yeah, and the other, women that door. Who, the other women who came forward. Um, because when she did that, there was another one, one of his victims. And, I, like, to, to the women who have come forward about this, like, thank you so much. You have really – it. nobody wants to, like, relive the worst night of their life over and over again in the public eye. Um, so what you've been doing is so, so powerful. And um, I will say that um, the one woman who was one of his victims – when Gabrielle came forward and she was on the Today Show, one of his victims who used to work for him and I the I don't love the word victim, but what she uh, she used to work for him and she was assaulted by him, and she posted the video, the Today Show video on her story and she tagged Manuel Manuel Blanco in it, and she said he called her and was like, "What are you doing? This is so bad for me. Um, this is terrible for my image." Um, he was like, "You need to be on my side with this." and he said, I don't remember anything like I don't I, I I don't I haven't done this to anybody. I don't remember a thing. And then she said, um, she said, you know exactly what you did. I am not going to be on your side. And she left it at that. She hung up on him. And then she's been coming forward. And she's been one of the people who has been um, talking about it. Yeah. So I mean, Those girls, like I just like I'm just in awe of them, like Mm -hmm. the way that they've been able to talk about this, like the charisma that they've been able to talk about it with, like the the way that they've been able to kind of like speak truth to power has just been really inspiring to watch. And also
1: it's scary to do the the fact that he isn't in jail and to come forward. It's like that can be a, a scary
0: thing to do. Well, that was one of the things when I was posting the article, my dad kind of in a moment was like, I don't know if you should talk about this, mostly because he was nervous that Manuel Blanco Vela was still out there. Um, and I got nervous again, kind of the same way that I got cold feet with Carrie Mm -hmm. and I emailed Gabrielle Vega about it. And Gabrielle Vega said, um, that she had felt that way before too, when she was talking about her story. And she told me, um, let the truth be the light that guides you. Yeah. And she said, what you wrote was truthful. You're not, you're not saying something wrong if what you're saying is true right um so she encouraged me to post it i'm so grateful that she did because of the people who messaged me afterwards and said and and said um that that it was beneficial for them because uh, either they had been through something similar or because they they didn't know what had happened to to lauren on that night um so there were a couple things about the you asked me if she had um if lauren had was tested for Mm -hmm. date rape drugs yeah um so the toxicology report these are all things that i know from that podcast in chicago the toxicology report didn't cover date rape drugs but there were this podcast seemed to insinuate that she definitely was or could have been drugged Mm -hmm. um there were a few things that could make one think that she could have been so um lauren's one friend who was with her that night who she later got separated from um said that lauren turned to her at one point and said she got weird vibes from manuel so like you said it would be strange that she would then go home with him and drink with him um, one of her other friends said that that night, Lauren didn't seem like herself. And that's exactly the same language that Gabrielle Vega used when she was on the state rape drug that he used. She said, I didn't feel like myself. Um, and then another thing his victims describe is not having control over their bodies. Mm-hmm. Like they said that they were being assaulted and they were like willing their arm to like come up and like push him away and they couldn't move it. Right. And so I wonder if she could have like lost control of her body in some way. Um, but I really want to after I met with Carrie, I want this to be um what we remember about Lauren and what we speak about with when we speak about her. Um, after I met Carrie, she messaged me. I had asked her about Lauren, and she said, "When you asked about Lauren, I missed a key point. She was really funny, and she always wanted to people feel she always wanted people to feel included." And she sometimes did that with humor. Um, and it was, like, such a mundane detail, but it, like, floored me because, like, you can tell that um, it's her mom who's saying it. Yeah. Like, you can tell it's her mom who um, who loved her so much and wanted her to be remembered that way.
1: And I think, too, that you probably provided her with some ounce of comfort, you know, like, even just... Talking to her when you did, and her having someone, because you guys were the same age, right, or at least around the same. Yeah, age. she
0: was. She turned twenty-one there. I was twenty when I went. Th- we had a lot in common. Yeah,
1: so I think too, like that probably gave her, her mom some sort of comfort to like have you to talk to, even if to you it kind of might have seemed like she just was trying to get more details and whatever mm. else. Like I feel like that. I think people do that sometimes. You know what That's I really mean?
0: It's really insightful. I didn't think about it that way.
1: That was like the first thing
0: that came to mind.
1: Like when you said that she wanted to like get lunch with you and keep asking mm-hmm. you. I think I do think, obviously I do think that there was a part of her that wanted more details and just wanted to get to the bottom of it. But I also do think that because she was an only child,
0: mm-hmm.
1: she was probably looking for that comfort too. And like talking to someone else that might have seen her daughter, or known her daughter in some way or, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's just what I, I, I get that feeling.
0: And I really want that to be like the way that we remember her. Yeah. Because just like all all the I mean nobody wants to be remembered for their worst night. Um and so when we hold on to that memory of her, like I want that to be really what what we hold on to. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of people who are talking about her said the same thing. They said um that she was really funny. Um even after she passed and I was Looking at like her Facebook, we had tons of mutual friends. Um, She seemed to have a ton of friends like she wanted to. She seemed like this warm person who wanted people to feel included. Um, And so I really hope that when we remember her, we remember her with her mom's words, which are so loving. Yeah. And not the actions of people who treated her like a thing, like who treated her like something that she could just be disposed of or people who treated her just like this, like a drunken idiot. Um, because she was, she was a person and like her mom said, like her mom said goodbye to her in an airport. Mm. So that's a big part of the reason why it's like a tough story. Yeah, it's Um, hard.
1: And it's heartbreaking too, you know, the, the whole situation it's like you can't like you were saying before it's so you can't really Im- even imagine you know what i mean
0: mm-hmm. it's horrible um so unfortunately emmanuel was you know not the first predator that i met and he would not be the last mm-hmm. um so he's not unique um so i think that study abroad program should keep that in mind yeah like if there's something that's a takeaway from the story like something that i would like to see change um, I mean, the best way to prevent sexual assault, in my opinion, is to make sure that when it does happen, there are, there are public and notable punishments. Yeah. So, um, oh yeah, there was one other thing that, um, in that podcast that they mentioned, um, there was a Spanish journalist who kind of pressed Manuel on, um, or, no, there's a Spanish journalist who pressed the judge who had questioned Manuel about Lauren. And his response was that, um manuel didn't want to hook up with lauren he wanted to hook up with her friend so it was essentially like what happened to lauren wasn't relevant to him and the journalist was like how is that related right um that was one thing that i forgot to mention there was um one thing that i wanted to say like for study abroad programs like i said um people like manuel are not unique unfortunately um so for study abroad programs i think some measures that they could put in place one is that they should not allow like third- party travel agencies to advertise or even like meet with their students um, in, in like a in with the majority of the group just because they haven't been vetted in the same yeah. way um, I think that when sexual assault reports come their way they should take it very seriously and advocate for the survivors because it sounds like the two girls who did report their assault by Manuel, um, it didn't really sound to me like they had an advocate there with them to kind of say, who, who spoke the language and could say, um, this is what happened. Um, and the bystander talk that I mentioned that we had orientation, that was a good start. Um, but I think that there should also be talks about what to do if you are assaulted, like yeah. if something does happen um i think that maybe people are afraid to talk about that because they don't want to uh, they don't want to scare people away from studying abroad like right. you come to orientation for study abroad and all they're talking about is sexual assault and you think i don't maybe i shouldn't go um but just th- the basic things because what happened to a lot of these girls is they they knew that they had been raped it wasn't like a oh somebody crossed a line last night it was like oh, no, that was definitely that was definitely rape. What do I do? And they didn't really know what to do next. So yeah. things like don't shower, things like get a rape kit. Um,
1: I think in general, there needs to be more things put in place to make people feel comfortable enough and safe enough to come forward. Because yeah. I think there's so many aspects that people, they question themselves or they don't feel comfortable to come forward or like, who do I talk to? Who do I even go to? Like, I feel like there needs to be more – secured things like that put into place
0: Mm, yeah i mean it's such it's such a different crime i feel like it almost has to be treated with such sensitivity yeah um and there was a on this this podcast where they talk about manuel they spoke to somebody who said if you're robbed while you're drunk nobody's gonna say that you weren't robbed because you were drunk Mm -hmm. or that you deserved it because you were drunk um but then if somebody is sexually assaulted when they're drunk then it that is sometimes one of the first things that's brought up like well why were you drunk why are you with him why did you go back with him um so I think that we really need to like advocate for survivors. Mm-hmm. Um and have people who can help um survivors advocate for themselves when they're in a foreign country like if they're on a study abroad trip. Um a lot of the time when you're traveling you might not even know um to dial 911. 911 is different in different countries. So yeah. they could say here's a number that you can call um, maybe like a hotline um let us know and you and and let them know like we'll be on your side like if you come to us we'll listen to you um, mm-hmm. and we'll make sure that you're treated with respect um so public consequences for perpetrators I will uh, rapists are are cowards they choose vulnerable victims um they won't do it if they know they won't get away with it right. Um, so make sure that they don't get away with it, um, even just like on a legal and government level. And I also wanted to say, you know, if you're watching this, don't let this deter you from traveling. Um, I've actually lived outside of the U.S. for most of my adult life. And I do want to clarify that like everywhere I go, any country, I meet people who are good people who will take care of me, who will treat me like family, who will welcome me into their home. So even though Manuel Blanco Vela, he's not unique, but he is definitely outnumbered. Um, I actually had, I had a question about, about the podcast that I was wondering. Yes. It seems like at a certain point you started interviewing like mostly women. Was that like a conscious decision or it just happened naturally? It just
1: happened. And I always see comments of people saying we want more men and I would love Mm. more men on the show and more like male perspective. I actually do have, um, a couple male guests coming on. I think, I actually think my next one might be. I think my next couple might be male guests, which I'm really excited mm-hmm. for. Um, but no, it kind of just happened, and I think too the majority of my audience is is female, and mm. I don't mind it. I don't mind. I just like for me, it's the diversity, and mm. that's why I like the show is open to any subject, any experience, any. That's why it's like when people ask me what kind of guests I have on, it's hard to describe because I do have a lot of tragic and traumatic stories and experiences on. Then I try to throw these ones in, like my confessions of a dominatrix, and keep it yeah. so that you have that option to watch. Still, these these jaw dropping stories, but it it gives some more I feel like lightheartedness to the show as well. Yeah, but no, it, it's kind of formed that way. And I mean, I love it. I'm all for women. I think it's fun, and <laughs> and I think too it sometimes it can be easier and it can feel more comfortable when it is, you know, like two women speaking to each other. And Mm -hmm. it's like it it removes that kind of like judgment or that feeling like you can't say what you want to say. But I also think that it makes me happy that I've created a platform that I feel like women feel so comfortable and safe to come on and and talk about such serious things that have happened in their lives. Mm. But it kind of just formed its own path that way.
0: Yeah, I think that I definitely I don't want to speak for all women. I know that I've definitely like fallen into the trap of seeing other women and and maybe feeling jealous or competitive or thinking like uh, or comparing myself to yeah. them. And I think that stories like this really highlight. The reason I ask is because I do think that stories like this really highlight the importance of like a sisterhood. Yeah. Um, and of believing somebody when they come to you. And um, and
1: I feel like the show also takes it removes all that external stuff. And it shows that no matter, like, your age, where you are in life, what you look like, anything like this can happen to somebody. 100%. And I feel like it's it it kind of just provides a safe place to talk about it.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking when I was watching. Because one of the things that I feel like I've learned from your show is that a lot of the time, maybe that person who you're looking at and you're thinking um, and you're feeling competitive or feeling jealous, uh, they could have been through... You know these these horrible things that people right. come to talk on talk about, and there were probably there was probably a portion of their life where really just all they needed was support, mm-hmm. and when that time comes, you need to be ready to give that support um, instead of um, mm, maybe like pushing it away. Right. I guess because yeah. I really think that the the first girl who Gabrielle spoke with, who she told her I was raped. What do I do? If she had said, okay, let's go get a rape kit. OK, let's go tell the police. OK, let's I don't know what would have happened next, but at least she would have more concrete evidence against him. And it it, it, it could have helped. Right. I Like there's a lot that we don't know, but it, it could have put her in a better position. Um. So that was the one thing that I wanted to mention about it. But um, I did want to say I think that I said this before, but yeah, it's a hard story to tell. So. I'm sorry if it's been hard to listen to. Um, no, but I think
1: it, I like I said, I, I really can't stress enough. I feel like it's something that it's a story that brings a lot of awareness. And that's a really important thing.
0: Well, th- I mean, thank you so much for listening to it. Of course. And also, I mean, like, spread the word. Like we are trying, you know, if 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 you know anything about him, if you know people who had any contact with him, I'll give the email to Dev. But it was uh, DE Survivors Speak Up.
1: Yeah, and everything I told her we're going to link it all in the description too. So check it out there. Yeah,
0: too. it's it's the type of thing that um needs to it needs to get out there.
1: For sure. Absolutely. But no, you like I said you did incredible for so many different reasons. Honestly, you're such a good
0: storyteller as you well. You did incredible just like listening. I lo- no, like I told <laughs> and, you like follow-ups and Yeah, and
1: and just sitting here and and being able to it, it's almost like it, it you painted such a great picture of everything and I I really love too, how you it's almost like in memory of Lauren mm-hmm. as well, which I think is is so sweet of you. And because it's like, not it, well, it you didn't necessarily have to be her close friend. I think that it, it's so important and special that you are painting a picture for Lauren as well. And it's not just like, oh, this happened to this girl. It's like, this is who she was. We should remember her for who she was, but not what happened to her. Mm-hmm. But also, like I said, to speak up and bring awareness and make other people feel comfortable enough to come up and talk about what's happened to them because like you said unless people speak up a lot of times these people won't get caught and it won't stop yeah. and it shouldn't it shouldn't be this pattern that keeps happening to anybody yeah so
0: i was i was so shocked when i posted that article just like on my personal mm-hmm. blog and like by by the the how supportive people were. I yeah. think that maybe I'm used to the internet just being such a cruel place, and it, can, it really can be. Yeah, so <laughs> so that when people responded in like that supportive way, I was just so so grateful to them. So yeah. um and really grateful to you as well for like listening to it with so much grace of and course. um and even just like inviting me on. Thank and you thank so much. you
1: for wanting to come on. Seriously, I, I really really appreciate it. You did incredible. Um, was there anything else? I think I got through all my notes. That's everything. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you. You really did such a good job and I appreciate you coming out here. I can relax. You you crushed it. Yes. (laughs)